All right, we are continuing in our um, God's Wealth series. We started this on, on uh, so we're in week six now. It's an eight-week series doing a deep dive, looking in uh, the Bible's ancient wisdom about money. And we started with grow income. You know, some people aren't earning enough. They've got to figure out how to, what's a godly way to approaching and thinking about increasing my income, um, finding contentment, eliminating debt, manage expense, share resources last week. And today we're looking at practice deliberately. And then we just got two more weeks uh, after this. And, you know, Jesus uh, himself said a ton about money, directly and indirectly as well. So Jesus teaches us how to think about and how to handle money. Um, but also Jesus is very interesting. He, lots of his other teachings as well, if it's not directly about money, he actually uses financial terminology to frame a lot of his teachings about money. And that gives us an insight that we really should, I think it shows to us that Jesus is very mindful that money is so important that he doesn't just teach directly about it, but he uses it even to frame a lot of his teachings as well. And so that, that indicates to us the, the importance of it. So we need to be confronted with the Bible's truth and teaching about money. So today we're going to be in, in uh, Malachi uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. It's in the Old Testament. It will come up on the screen. And we have Bibles in our pews. And if you don't have a Bible, take it and keep it. It's our gift to you. And what we're going to see here today in this, this passage we're looking at is this guy Malachi. Malachi is an Old Testament prophet. A prophet uh, is essentially someone who receives messages from God, and which I know that sounds a little weird to say that, right? When people are like, you know, messages, okay. But this happens. Of course, you know, if you've ever had a spiritual dream about something, you've ever had something divine happen, when you're like, God is communicating, God is speaking to me. I read something in the Bible that just blew my brains out. It's just amazing. So God will raise up, especially in the Old Testament, um, prophets to, to declare his messages. Now, uh, no, nobody liked prophets, though, because the reason a prophet came, so it's a hard job to have, really hard job to have. No one, no one would want to be a prophet um, because, because really the, the reason that, that God raised them up is because the people had drifted away from God and away from God's ways. And so a prophet comes to correct people, to tell people they're off track and they're doing something wrong and they need to be brought back to the ways of God. And so, so they're very unpopular. Prophets are always unpopular. Um, there are some well-known ones, right? So like the most well-known prophet would be uh, Moses. I'm sure you've heard of Moses, kind of a big deal historically. Um, Isaiah is a big one. Jonah, you know, um, well-known prophet, right? With the, the whale incident, all that, the big fish. Um, but then you also have some other prophets, not as well-known. You've got guys like Habakkuk. Anyone know much about Habakkuk? I don't know much about Habakkuk. I don't know. There's a book in the Bible, but today we're looking at Malachi. We've got Malachi, not as well known, and some of us can relate to that. You know, some of us aren't as popular. You know, and so we, we're going to look at the underdog of prophets today, of Malachi. Malachi comes with an important message for his day, a very important message um, for his day that's still relevant to us today. And the importance of this this message uh, revolves around is, is framed in large part by uh, the, the the time in, in history when Malachi was around. This was after. Um, God's people, ancient Israel, had been exiled in Babylon and people are beginning to return to Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem. We just looked at that uh, not too long ago uh, as a church. And this is in the period of time where people are beginning to, to come back and uh, restore the temples. This is before Nehemiah's time, before they were rebuilding the walls and all that kind of stuff. They're starting to rebuild the temple. And so there's this emphasis from the spiritual leaders at the time of we've got to get back to 
our spiritual devotion, our spiritual worship. We've got to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Our people have been conquered. We've been defeated and we've been exiled in Babylon and now God's bringing us back and we've got to return to God. And one of the big things, there's a few things that Malachi talks about, but one of the things he prophesies about that the people must return to is their use of money and how they think about money and specifically their deliberate practice with consistent giving the deliberate practice of consistent giving. Let's pray and then let's read God's word. Jesus, thank you you're with us today. Thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would um, give us insight today. Help free us from the traps of money, from trusting in money. And as we've gone through this series, Lord, just continue to uh, deepen your truth in our hearts and help us to be confronted, just like ancient Israel needed to be confronted to return to the true, consistent giving that you'd called them to help us return to that as well, that we might be blessed as we return to that. And for anyone here today that doesn't know you, maybe people with doubts or people feel far from you, feel disconnected, I pray, Holy Spirit, today just come close. Help them know that you love them, that you're for them, and that you've got a plan for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's read here, Malachi 3, verse 7 through 10. It says this, it says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, statutes, excuse me, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing, until there is no more need. This is God's word. Now, starts off with the first verse that we read here, verse seven. Um, Malachi starts off this, this section, this verse here starts with this idea. He says, you know, since the time of your, your fathers, uh, you have turned you know, from it. You've, let, let me actually look at it again. So come, you should never quote the Bible without actually looking at it. Uh, it's a common problem. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside. So this, um, the Bible is unapologetic, very clear, tells us over and over and over again, the human condition is this, is that we turn away from God. We're wayward, self-centered people who are self-interested. It's really hard for us to overcome that. We need divine strength and divine power. We need a breakthrough. This is true for all of us. It's true for all of us. We need a breakthrough. And so the Bible is painting this picture. Even God's people, people who received the Ten Commandments, who, God's people who, who saw the miraculous hand of God at work, they kept turning away. They get prophets came and gave them these messages, but they kept turning away over and over again. They're turning away. And this, the story hasn't changed. Has the human heart improved over the last few thousand years? We're still just as screwed as we've always been, Right? So we're turning away from God, we're rebellious against God, but because God loves us, 
Because God is for us, because God wants to have a relationship with us, He intervenes, He gets in our way, He calls out to us, and He invites us to come back. He's always inviting us uh, to come back. And so He says to them, if you return to me, I, I will return to you. And this is God making the first move towards us, God initiating. This, is, this reveals to us the nature of salvation, actually, that it starts with God. Salvation starts with God. It says, it says that in the Bible, actually, salvation belongs to the Lord. That God, in His grace, in His extravagant grace, He reaches out to us. We're so lost, so wayward, so, so, so self-centered at times. And God, in His grace, He'll intervene, He'll come into our lives and He'll say, look, there's a problem, you've gone astray, I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back in His grace. Come back. And so that, that's His initiative. He, he, he provides the means and the way to come back. He, he communicates the way to come back to Him. Now, of course, there is a responsibility on us. We have to respond to that. There's a faith response in us, a response of repentance and trust in God, saying, I want to come back to, to God and, and His ways. And uh, the people, you know, through the prophet Malachi, you know, he says, you know, that the people are asking, well, how are we going to return to you? How are we supposed to do that? Like, aren't we returning from Babylon already? Aren't we already coming back? Aren't we already rebuilding the temple? Aren't we doing all these things? How can we return to you? And the answer comes for them at their time. This is very relevant for them. It's very, very relevant for us. It has to do with your money. It has to do with your money. Now, we said this before, and it's worth repeating every time. God does not need our money. Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Luke that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, that there's this invisible tether between money and heart. And so God is interested in our, our heart. And so if our money is, has a lot of power over us, what we, where we use our money and how we use our money and how we think about money is a huge indicator. It's one of the real-world tests of what we truly believe. I mean, if you tell someone you love them and you're committed to them and you're loyal to them and you're faithful to them, but you're never generous towards them, you don't share with them, you don't give towards them, do you actually love them? Do you actually care about them? That's not the nature of true love, of true relationship. The true test of the human heart of our relationship is how much are we willing to, to be generous towards God? So if we're not honoring God with our money, if we're not honoring God with our money, then what we tend to do is we tend to be kind of floundering around and, and struggling in our relationship with God. And so God, through the prophet Malachi, is calling out to us saying, let's respond to this. Let's respond to this. Now, before we get into this, we get into the deliberate practice today that we're going to talk about uh, towards consistent giving, there's a more fundamental truth that we have to understand. There's this fundamental truth that God has made a world. God has made the world in such a way that his grace abounds to all people. The sun shines. Every day the sun shines and the land produces. There's water to drink. There's air to breathe. There's food to eat. This is God's radical gift to the human race. That he's created this amazing planet that produces life that can sustain us. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 says it this way. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to the fullness of the earth. It belongs to God. It is God's. It all, it's all His. And in God's grace, He provides for 
the righteous and the unrighteous, for those who do good and those who do evil, he is so generous, so kind, so gracious. Every day, he provides for all people, indiscriminately. That's how loving and how kind and how generous God is. Now, that generosity has a time period to it, of course. That's, that's, that's the, the point of the afterlife, is how you live now to, you know, really affects how you, you know, what's going to happen to you in the afterlife. The Bible says that over and over and over again. But in this life, we see God's common grace, God's common blessing, that he owns everything and he shares it. He pours it out across the whole earth or across the whole world. And what this shows to us is that if it's all God's and he legitimately gives stuff to us, gives resource to us and wealth to us and blessing to us, then technically, if, we don't, if we're not generous back to God, if we don't return back to God what he's given of us and we're called to return back to him some of what he's given to us, then technically we're actually stealing from God. Now that is not a manipulative preacher thing to say. It sounds a little bit like a, like a manipulative preacher thing to say, right? Saying, hey, you're, you're stealing from God, you're robbing from God. It sounds a little, a little that way, doesn't it? But it comes from these verses. Honestly, I, I would not make this up. I, 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 I feel like I never, I only ever say this if I'm preaching on these verses, which I've done a, a few times now. But verse 8, we read it, verse 8, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. The only way that the Bible can so directly and so clearly say, and, and be truthful in saying that we're robbing, we're stealing from God, we're taking something from God, is if it belongs to God in the first place, it's all his, and if he legitimately gives it to us and then is hands off with it and says, it's your responsibility to steward it. You can use it for good, you can use it for evil. You can use it, you, it's your choice. You have the autonomy of how you're going to steward this, how you're going to use it. And because of that scenario then, God... God can legitimately, through the prophet Malachi, say, hey, if, if you're not returning some of this, as God has instructed, and we'll get into the, the teaching of it, you're actually stealing, taking away from God. Now, there was real spiritual apathy as it related to tithes and contributions and giving um, for the people in Malachi's day. They were um, very spiritually apathetic about this. And it actually even says in the passage that we read, it says the whole nation of you. So this was a systemic problem a broad problem. So maybe the spiritual leaders are thinking we've got to be doing this, but that's just a few people. Malachi's thinking it. Maybe a few people are thinking it, but by and large, the whole nation had gone off track with they weren't being generous towards God. And in no uncertain terms, it says that they're cursed because of this. They're cursed because of this. Now, some people get uncomfortable, even some Christians get uncomfortable with the idea of curses, the idea of being cursed. But in the same in the same breath, we might be uncomfortable with that, but we might readily agree that the Cubs are cursed. <laughs> we might agree with that. If, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there, there are some buildings downtown Chicago that, that don't have a 13th floor. Right? You know that? Um, actors. Actors say, um, break a leg. Right? Because they, they don't want to, you know, if, if you wish someone well, right, that's, that's bad luck. It's a curse. I get cursed. Halloween time. Not a difficult time of year to believe in curses. I wanted to set up the, uh, I wanted to 
put aliens up in my front yard this Halloween, but we didn't get around to it this year. Maybe next year, if anyone wants to help me with my, Hall- my, my alien Halloween theme and then play the X-Files soundtrack every time people walk past <laughs> our house. That's, that's my, my future hope and goal for Halloween. We'll see if we get there or not. If we believe in blessings, do you believe you can be blessed? Do you believe that someone could bless you, speak a blessing over you? that then actually you might be favored because of that blessing, that you've received a blessing from somebody. If we believe in blessings, we've got to be also open to the idea of curses. Actually, we can experience hardship and difficulty and strife and trial if we screw up certain things, if we mess up certain things. And so as it relates to tithing, I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of believers today are experiencing trial and experiencing and a failing in certain ways because they're neglecting this tithe, neglecting the tithe. And the great thing is, is that we can fix this. God gives us the teaching of how to fix this. So what are tithes and contributions? Let's start with tithes. A tithe, the word tithe, it's a religiously sounding word, isn't it? I went to church and tithed today. Sounds very proper. Tithe just means tenth. That's all it means. It means 10%. All right, and so typically what we're talking about is the, 10, the first 10% of our income. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about tithing. Now, I've heard some Christians in the past say, oh yeah, I tithe today. But what, what they did was that they, they threw in, they didn't really plan to give, they just were at church and they're like, oh, I should give. So they threw in some change they have, or sometimes people throw in gift cards. Uh, we've had a few people throw in Starbucks gift cards, um, different things like that. And it's like, all right, you didn't plan to give, that's all right, but thank you for your generosity. And... It's, it's still a gift. You can still say it's a gift, but you can't call it a tithe if it's not 10%. If, if, if that $5 Starbucks gift card you gave, if that was 10% of your income, then you need to go back and listen to week one of this series, <laughs> which is about growing your income. All right, but it's not. So, so the, the idea of, of tithe, a tithe starts early on in the Bible. So Leviticus 27, verse 30 says this, Leviticus 27 verse 30 says this, it says, every tithe of the land, so every, the first 10% of what the land produces, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now, the idea of something being holy, the Bible uses this term, it says that God is holy. Um, Holiness is a really hard thing to actually describe because it's completely other than anything we experience or what we are because we're fallen creatures. We're tainted by, by sin and evil. But God is other than that. He's above all of that, sinless and, and holy. But things can actually become holy as well, which is interesting to think about that. The only way, the way that something can become holy is if it is exclusively used for God. So another, another religiously sounding word for this is that something is, can be consecrated. So you say, oh, I, I, I consecrated this thing, or this day is consecrated, or this event is consecrated. That means we've made it holy. We're saying that it's not going to be used for anything else other than God. It's only going to be used for God, and therefore it is holy. It's been made holy in that, in that regard. And so in, even in the Bible, where it, where it says, you know, people encountered God, and they say, hey, take off your, your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. The idea is that the ground is not somehow now less evil or something. It just it means that this place is only for this moment with God. It's been set apart for this experience with God. 
So the Bible is teaching on the first 10% of all of our income, all of our profit, all of our produce, all, of, all the things, the wealth that comes into our life, the first 10% of it, it is holy. It belongs to God. It is directly God's. Now, of course, everything is God's, right? And every, everything, everything belongs to God, but God in his grace, he gives us stuff and allows us to steward it and use it. But that first 10% is especially directly holy, set apart, consecrated, to be given, to be set aside, to be returned to God as an act of worship. First and foremost, as an act of worship. Now, in the Old Testament, they actually had three tithes. It's very interesting. We've got a list here. Three tithes that they had. The first tithe was to their spiritual leaders, right? The Levites of the time. So you can see this in Numbers 18 and Numbers 24, that they would, they would give to support the, uh, the priestly system that they had, their min- the ministers of their day, essentially. And they did different things, and they, they gave to support that. That was one tithe. They had a second tithe, which was to fund their festivals. So they had the Festival of Booths and these other different festivals that they had, and it was a big event. They, it was many, many days. They had lots of food, lots of celebration. So they took up a big offering to fund all of that. Then the third tithe they had went to uh, serve the, the poor. It was ministry to the poor. But that third tithe um, was only, it was every three years. So every three years, they would gather up a t- an extra tenth. So if you prorate that, it means annually, every year, Old Testament believers, they gave 23% of their income away. Now that's huge. They gave 23% of their income away. How are we to think about this tithe? How are we to think about, because we're diving into the Old Testament here, we're reading from Malachi, reading from Leviticus, reading from these, looking at numbers, looking at these different things, Deuteronomy. How are we today to think about these verses and the tithe? Because one thing you have to realize about the Bible is, and this is one of the kind of cool things and exciting things about the Bible is, that the Bible is God's story of redemption, all right? And it's split up, it's split up into two big chunks, okay? So you've got the Old Testament, which is, explains the origin of everything, it explains God's, um, God's plan to rid the world of how evil came about, and then God's plan to rid the world of evil, and promises of a coming Messiah who would eventually ultimately do that. And then the New Testament, the second chunk of the Bible, is all about the fulfillment of that. It's all about the Messiah who came, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God incarnate, who has come to fulfill everything and to actually bring about full salvation for the human race. So that's, that's the story of the Bible, a quick summary of the story of the Bible. And so the first big chunk, God is working through, he chose a guy called Abraham and from his descendants. He say that the Messiah is going to come from his descendants and we're going to work through this particular people group. And so they had their own nation and God was, had blessed them and was calling them and doing all these great things through them. But a lot of that, a lot of the ceremonies and the customs they had, they were intended from the very beginning to be temporary. God knew from the very beginning, this isn't, some of this is not going to be forever. The forever plan was that Jesus would come and die for our sins on the cross. That was the forever plan. That's the fulfillment of it all. But some of this Old Testament stuff, the heart behind it remains, the purpose of it remains, and even some of the, t- and even some of the very specifics of it do remain, but not all of it. Some of it's temporary. And some, one of the cool things about theology or the more you understand the Bible and dig into the Bible is you're trying to, under, to discern how does it all fit together? And it takes a lifetime to journey on this and to, to, to learn this, but you're, you're trying to figure out, trying to interpret and trying to figure out how does it work together? And so not all the things in the Bible were supposed to be permanent, but some of them in the Old Testament, some of them were 
permanent. So for example, um, like the moral law, for example, like don't murder people, right? Just because we say Jesus came and the Old hey, he's fulfilled the Old Testament and now we've got a new era and things, some things have changed and we're not like a, we're not like a, a nation like they were in, in the past. Um, believers, we're not like that anymore. This is a bit different now. It's been transformed by Jesus. Just because that doesn't mean we get rid of don't murder, right? Or, or don't commit adultery, right? It's like, okay, so, so, so some things remained. Even, even God's grace is consistent throughout. Old Testament and New Testament. God, in his, it was God's grace, even though they had a sacrificial system, they had to come and bring their own sacrifices to receive the forgiveness of their sin. That was still God's grace that he even gave them a way to do that. And that was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming and being sacrificed for us. So we see all these cool things happening here. So one of the things we have to, so we're trying to discern. We're looking at tithes in the Old Testament. How do they relate to us in the New Testament era, the era that Christ has now come, that Christ has now established salvation for all mankind, through all people to be brought into God's family. It's not just one nation that's shining the light now. It's all those who have faith in Jesus shining this light now. So what do we think about these tithes? Let's, let's get back to this. How do we think about these tithes? Now, of those three that the Old Testament saints were given, the last two, the, uh, the tithes for the, for the festivals and the tithes for the ministry to the poor, those two really are obsolete, this, this, when, I, when I say that, not the heart behind them, because we can still fund things. You know, we, we, we're, um, we've got our Christmas offering coming up, right, which funds the poor and the needy. So it's not a direct parallel, but maybe it's a small parallel to what they used to do. And we've got our chili potluck today, and we did our hot dog fundraiser a little while ago, so we're funding festivals or whatever. It's, it's not a direct parallel to the Old Testament, but the heart behind it can remain. But we don't live in, we don't have a kind of system of government set up that can administer these tithes that they had. We're now an international family of God. We're not this, I was going to say we're not, we're not a theocracy, but I actually realized the other day that we actually do live in a theocracy. I realized that because secularism is actually a faith system. And so we actually do live in a, in a I realized that. You ever thought that before about our system of government? Uh, it's actually, we, we actually live under a theocracy that is trying to ha cause us to have faith in its own power, to, to replace God with its own power, the power of the state. That's, that's the, big, the big tension in our culture today is, will God be honored or will the, is, is the state going to have power over us? That's the big conversation that's happening behind all the other conversations that we're having. The, and that behind the state power, is, of course, is demonic, demonic power. That was a side point, by the way. That's not anything relevant to this message today. Just uh, thoughts occurring to me as I, as I go through this today. So we don't have a way to fund these national festivals they have. We don't have a way of facilitating that. If we were to tie it to that, how are we going to do that? Um, you know, this national way they had of caring, this ministry they had to caring for the poor and needy, we don't have a national way to, to administer, to facilitate that. And so we don't, those two ties are kind of, have been made obsolete by the transformation of Old Testament to New Testament, although the heart behind it to give to the poor remains. We still do that in many ways and to fund festivals and celebrations. Yeah, we still give to, to do those things in different ways. So the heart is there, but those particular tithes have kind of been re retired, uh, as it were. But that first tithe that we looked at, how are we to think about that one? Because the heart behind that one was they're, they're, they're giving to support the, the, the tribe of Levites, the, the spiritual leaders of the day. They were giving to support their ministry, to support temple ministry. And it, the heart behind it was to, to say thank you to God 
to, to support that, that work, but ultimately to, to, to say thank you, thank you, God, that you've provided for us a centralized way that we can, that, we, that our nation and our people can worship you and can be taught your word and that we can, can make these sacrifices where we can get close to you, we can be forgiven of our sin, we can be cleansed. So that, that was the heart behind that, uh, that tithe. Now, if you think about it, we don't have a temple today that we're funding. We don't have a, a, a tribe of Levites that we're funding today. But we have to ask ourselves, what do we have? What has Jesus given us? And this is the, the dance you do between Old Testament and New Testament where you're trying to discern these things. Jesus came, and what did he say? He says, he came to establish his church. So he says, you know, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus came to institute a new type of kingdom, an international family. Now, the church is one part of God's broad, bigger kingdom. God's kingdom is the rule and reign of God in the earth. And the church is one component of that, one part of that. But Jesus has called us into his church to, that through his church, the, the gospel might be proclaimed, that through his church, the disciples might be made, that through his church, that the nations might be reached, that through his church, even that we would care for the poor and needy in different ways as well. And that can happen outside of that uh, as well as inside of that. And so we see, we see that the, the best fulfillment of this first tithe that the people had is to direct that towards church ministry, to direct it towards church ministry. Now, it talks about tithes and contributions. Tithes and contributions. And tithe is a tenth, so the first part of our income goes to that. The contribution is beyond the tenth. So these, these contributions are not a set amount. We talked about this last week. A tithe is that set amount. A contribution is a voluntary gift. Um, if, you, if you think about it, it's, it's, the tithe is not optional. Actually, Proverbs 3, verse 9, because the tithe is directly commanded. So Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. It's a command given. We read in Leviticus, reading in Proverbs. It's not voluntary. It's something that is commanded of us to do. But with contributions, tithes and contributions, contributions are free, what's called a free will offering. And, and you, even, you even see this, I think it's Leviticus 22, 18, even it talks about, even together it talks about the tithes and the contributions. So that th- these two types of offerings are to happen consistently in the life of a believer. So one is commanded directly, one's a strict, more strict, more deliberate step. The other one, the, the, the contributions are more spirit-led. And so God taught his people from the very beginning, even in ancient Israel, he taught them how to be led by his spirit. That it's not just rules and obligations and just do this and don't do that. Having, a, having an opportunity to have a free will offering, a contribution, gives, us, gives God's people the chance of saying, what does God want me to do? What's God calling me to do in this moment, in this particular contribution? This is above and beyond. So the way to think about a tithe is, a tithe is like base giving. It's that deliberate practice. It's commanded. It's holy. It belongs to God. I've got to return it to God. It's that deliberate practice. I do that over consistently all the time. But then, beyond that regular tithe, above that regular tithe, I have contributions, I have free will offerings that I can pour out, that I can give to it. Now, of course, for them, they're, they're an agricultural society, so they're, 
It's talking about grain offerings and talking about you know, the produce of the land and the, the fruit of the tree and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, that's how their economy worked. For us, in our day, the translation for us, you know, as we're looking at Old Testament into New Testament times, the translation for us is in our money and our wealth. That's how we think about that because that was their wealth. That, you know, it was a big sacrifice to give up food, to sacrifice a tenth of that, all of their produce or to, to sacrifice a, a tenth of, of, of or, you know, to even give up you know, their prized calves and, and all those different sacrifices that they made. Um, that they brought the sin offerings and all those different things. Those are big financial sacrifices that they made, that they had to make, that God called them to make. So we have the tithes and the contributions. That's how they, they work together. And so the, the Christmas offering that we're going to be starting soon, that will be, that's not a tithe, that's a contribution. That's the correct terminology, the biblical terminology for that. That's a, a sac or a sacrificial above and beyond my regular giving uh, contribution. Now, even with all this teaching, Christians can, and by the way, let me just say this. This message today, this is directly, very specifically for Christians. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're not interested in your money. God's not too worried about your money right now. The big thing is, is hey, is Jesus real and did he rise from the dead? Those are the two questions you've got to answer. If you get clarity on that, then congratulations. Um, that's the best, best news you could ever figure out is uh, to follow the person of Jesus. But this is a message for anyone who believes in Jesus you know, we have, to, we have to wrestle with this. We have to struggle with these verses and this truth and say, how do I apply this in my life? How do I live this out um, in my life? And so we still may have questions. Is the tithe still truly valid for today? Let's go through three things. Is the tithe still valid um, for today? So number one on this, tithing started before the Old Testament law was given. So in Genesis 28, we see Jacob gave a tithe. So this was established before. So again, looking at Old Testament to New Testament, what we see is we see, well, if Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, fulfill the law, and that's done away with all the ceremonies and all the practices and customs, and that's done away with, they don't have the priestly system anymore, and we have Jesus now and his sacrifice, and that's all good, then surely tithes are done away with, not so fast. This actually started very early on in the Bible with the offering of Jacob. Second point is that Christians in the New Testament gave well above the tithe. So then when we get into the New Testament era, are we to continue tithing? Well, actually, we see that Christians never gave less in the New Testament. They never gave, the first Christians, the first century Christians, they never gave less than a tenth. In fact, they actually sold, many of them sold property to help those in need and gave extravagantly uh, in powerful ways. And then uh, the third uh, point here, there it is. There's a slight delay, lag, delay here. G, uh, third one is that Jesus affirms the tithe. So in Matthew 23, 23, so let's bring this verse up here. Next slide, skip two ahead. It says, Woe to, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, I always was told, growing up actually, I always, I always heard this several times, is that the New Testament says nothing about tithing, therefore you don't have to tithe anymore. I've, I directly remember hearing a preacher saying that one time. And so I was confused when I came across Matthew 20, 23, when Jesus says to these Pharisees, actually, you should, have been, you should be tithing, but you've neglected even more important things. Like, put that verse back up again, what does he say? Justice and faithfulness and, yeah, yeah, yeah justice and mercy and faithfulness. So, in the New Testament, Jesus actually affirms the idea of tithing. 
Jesus picked grain on the Sabbath, which some people didn't like that he was doing that on the Sabbath. He healed the sick on the Sabbath, which was considered to be breaking the Sabbath. Jesus touched lepers, which was against God's law that made you unclean, not supposed to touch lepers. Jesus touched them to heal them. He did, Jesus spoke to women in that day and age that was against the, the customs of the day. Jesus broke he transformed lots of the, the, the original law of Moses and the laws of the Old Testament. He transformed them, but some of the customs that they had, he directly broke them. There's not one verse in the New Testament that says you're not supposed to tithe anymore. If God didn't want to, it to carry over, he would have said, we're done with this. We're done with this. There's not one. There are plenty of verses that say, hey, we don't do those festivals anymore. Hey, we don't do those sacrifices anymore. Hey, we don't have that, 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 that priestly system. We don't have that anymore. Jesus has replaced that. We have direct verses that tell us that. None tell us to do away with the tithe. So, all right. So maybe as a believer, if, you want to, if we want to take the, the Bible seriously, we say, okay, all right. I want to take on that teaching. I want to take on, it's holy to the Lord. It's still for today. Okay. But I've got some, but I've got some hesitations. I've got some natural human thoughts. I've got some excuses, four excuses that we can go through here. Four excuses. Let's bring up these one, one at a time. Bring up that first one. First excuse might be, well, it just feels legalistic. I want my relationship with Jesus just to be spirit-led and to be grace-filled and just, you know, my love relationship with Jesus, me and Jesus. Just, I want to, if I feel I want to give, then I just want to give. If I feel that, I just want, I don't want to, you know, this tithe business and this regular, you know, giving of that tenth, like that just doesn't feel like a true relationship to me. Now, Here's the problem with this idea. I understand why, why people will feel this way. But our relationship with God is not just about how we feel, is it? It's about the choices we make and the decisions that we make. Anything can become legalistic. You know, reading the Bible could be legalistic. Say, so, well, I've just been too legalistic at reading my Bible. Therefore, at church today, we're not going to have any Bible. I mean, imagine that. Would you be happy with that? Would anyone be happy with that? I don't think we'd be. I wouldn't be happy with that. Just because something can be legalistic, it can be. I've, had, I've heard from Christians before over the years, they say, ah, just, it just feels like such an, such an obligation. And if that ever happens to you, you realize, you've got to realize, like, I'm thinking wrong about this. I've, I, I've, something's gone wrong in my own mind. I've got to get back to the truth of Scripture to be re-envisioned for why I need to do this and why this is so important. But okay, let's say you think giving 10% on a regular basis to God's kingdom, God's purposes is legalistic. Fine, don't give 10%. Give 10.5%. Give 11%. Here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't downgrade our giving. We shouldn't be less generous than Old Testament saints when what Jesus has done in the new covenant is so much greater and is so much fuller. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't do less than what they give. We should do more than what they gave. The second excuse uh, that we might have is that we might say, well, I need to pay my debt first. And I really sympathize with people with this, especially we're in a very debt-saturated society. If you missed our sermon on debt, go back and listen to that one. Um, God wants us to be free from all debts. I understand this. But let's say you were to make a list of all of your creditors, all the people you owe money to. You say, well, I've got to pay my electric bill. I've got to pay my gas bill. You know, I've got to pay my credit card bills. And I've got student loans. or I've got health-related you know, debts or whatever it might be. I've got all these different debts. Where would you put God on the list in terms of who, who do we owe the most to? Well, God's got to go at the top. He's always got, he's our biggest creditor. We owe him everything. He, we don't want to be more faithful to man than we are to God. And we don't want to rob 
from God to pay man. We want to put God in first place and say, this is worship. I don't want to be you know, more faithful at paying the electric company than I am at being generous towards God. The third excuse that we might have is we might say, I need to ease up to 10%. So we might say, all right, I see that 10% is the goal. That's the biblical standard. That's the, but I'm just going to ease up to it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to start with 2%. And then, and then as I get better with that, I'm going to bump it up. I'm going to get up to 5%. And then I'm just going to bump it up. And there was one time in my life that I thought this was a good strategy until I read this idea. Imagine this. Imagine I came to you and I confessed that I have a problem robbing convenience stores. Just can't help it. I rob every, once a day, I rob a convenience store. Seven times a week, I rob a convenience store. And I come to you and I confess this and I say, I'm convicted, it's so bad, I shouldn't be robbing like this. And you're like, this is terrible. What are you doing? You're a pastor. You're not supposed to be robbing convenience stores like this. And, and so I say to you, look, look, I know it's bad, but I'm just gonna ease out of it. So this next week, I'm only gonna rob six. And then the next week after that, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna knock it down to five. And I, just, I think I'm just gonna wean myself off of it. Just, just see the problem. The Bible's framed it to us as that it is holy. It belongs to God. We've got to return it to God. Actually, we're, we're struggling with, we're floundering around, struggling with, I mean, it's unapologetic. I almost don't want to say it because I don't want to be mean, but the, the, you know, Malachi saying to them, you're cursed because you're not honoring God in this way. If you want to be blessed and not cursed, then honor God, return to him in this way. The fourth excuse we can have, is we can just say, I just can't afford it. I just can't afford to tithe. Now, if you're not earning any money, then of course you don't tithe. You only tithe your income, right? So you don't have, you know, we don't want to tithe off of loans. That's other people's money. But imagine this. Imagine your boss, imagine, you know, if you have a job, your boss comes to you and they say, look, our company's in really great, you know, financial difficulty and um, we've got a couple of options here. We've got to, we've got to change some things drastically uh, to survive. And we've got a couple of options. One option is we're going to have to fire a bunch of people. We don't want to do that, but we might have to do that, which could include your job. Or the other option is we cut everyone's salary by 10%. If we cut everyone's salary by 10%, we can keep everyone employed and we can get through this time. It's going to be really tough. Really sorry to say that, but that's probably the direction we're going to go. Are you going to be okay with that? And what are you going to say? You can say, well, you know, obviously I'm not, not thrilled about having 10% less, but I'll survive. I, find, I, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want my coworkers to lose their jobs. And... I'll figure out a way to live off of 10% more. And that's exactly what we would all do. We would sit down, get a piece of paper, we'd write out our expenses, we'd figure out we would find a way to live off of 10% less. So if we could do that in that scenario, we can afford to give of that tenth, that, that tithe today. There's a wonderful promise. Let's read verse 10 again, this amazing promise. This is, this is outrageous that the Bible says this. Verse 10, it says, "'Bring the full tithe into the storehouse,' that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Tithing is a divine challenge to us. It's a divine, God is saying, I double dog dare you. See how much I can bless you. See how much I can provide for you if you trust me, if you give in this way consistently. Now in, in scripture, we're told to never test God. So that was one of the temptations of Jesus, right? Jesus returned, you know, responded to the tempta- one of his temptations of saying, you know, quoting the Bible, saying, never put the Lord your God to the test. But there's one exception right here. This is the only exception in the whole Bible. That God says, test me. Test me. 
See if I won't meet your needs. See if I won't bless you. See if I won't help you with this. I wanted to invite uh, Catalina up, actually, who is going to share her testimony today about her experience of beginning to tithe. So let's welcome up Catalina, who's also... Also, Kata uh, is organizing our chili potluck today. Yeah. Okay, thanks everyone. Um, well, before I started tithing, I used to give frequently, but I didn't feel too comfortable with the idea of giving 10% of my income. So to push myself, I decided to set up automatic payments so I wouldn't have to debate it every month. And that actually helped. Uh, so I will encourage you to try that for a while if you feel comfortable. And after some time, after praying a lot, asking a lot of questions, I realized that everything that we have is God's to begin with. And he's so generous that he'll just, he's just asking for a small portion back to grow his kingdom, to share his grace. And I feel happy to be part of that. And beyond that, a lot of things have been happening in my life. I don't know if it's related to this, but in less than 10 months, I got two salary raises. I got a promotion. I got an amazing fiance. <laughs> and beyond that, I know that whether I make more or less because things can change, I now understand and I can say that I want to continue to tie. And the best thing is that after I started tithing, I can feel how money has less power over my life. So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah. Man, I feel like I should have just had you just share that. I could have saved a bunch of time today on that. Thank you for sharing that, Catalina. Um, powerful testimony. That's lots, that's, so many Christians have that testimony. As, as we step out and trust God in this realm, God blesses us. Let's take a step. Think about this. If you, if you uh, grab that Connect card out uh, that you came in with uh, today, and if you're somebody who says, hey, I, I'm struggling with this. I need to get better at this. So I want to take this step. Here's what I want you to do is um, add in here your own custom next step and say, hey, I want to essentially try out tithing. Maybe challenge yourself to say, I want to try tithing for like four months. So right on the comments or in, in the, in the uh, other section here, I'm going to try tithing for four months as a test to see if God will bless me. Now, I can't promise you you're going to get a fiancé <laughs> like, Catal like Catalina did. That's outrageous. Okay. okay, we read from the Bible, but there was no Bible verse that says that's going to happen. But God blesses us in all kinds of ways, so you never know. But the point, the point is, I know in my life that the, some of the greatest blessings I've received as I've given generously and been consistent in this way is just, just the peace of God. Just, just, just knowing like this is the right thing to do. It, it feels so good when you start putting things in your life in order, when you know th this, I know doubt, deep down in my soul that I should be doing this and this and this, but I'm not being consistent at it. Once you actually get to that place of putting those things right, there's such a peace and a relief and a confidence that like things feel a little bit better with the world in a strange, in a weird way, in a strange way. God blesses that. And that's one of the greatest things. And that, that's, that, that creates more intimacy uh, with God. Some people will ask, well, do I tithe on my gross or on my net income? The answer to that is just how much do you want God to bless you? How much do you want God to bless you? I think we, we, we tithe on our gross. Uh, that's, that's the way to do it. Where to tithe? I think that um, some Christians are called to give to other um, you know, Christian organizations. That can happen. Some people have a calling to, to do that. 
Maybe you know somebody who's in a campus ministry and they're fundraising and they're doing that and you're, you're, you're helping support them each month. Those things are great. And if you're called to do that, do that. But I think that that's not, I, I would consider that open and the contributions category, not the tithing category. I think to honor our heritage and to honor, I think, the teaching of Scripture, I think our 10% needs to go towards church ministry first and foremost. Those other things that we give to are in addition to that tithe, on top of that tithe. And the example we're given in the New Testament is that when the first, when these early Christians, when they sold their property or they brought their giving to God, what they did was they laid it at the apostles' feet. They brought it to their spiritual leaders of the day, to the ministers, those who were declaring the gospel and doing the work of ministry. That's what they, that's what they did. And the apostle Peter says in these, these passage, this passage here, it says, you know, bring the full tithe into my storehouse. Bring it into my storehouse. Apostle Peter says that the church is the household of God, that we're the household of God. So if we're just tippers, can, can a household sustain itself on tips? You know, if a human body just eats peanuts, is it going to be healthy? especially not if it has a peanut allergy. <laughs> so let's, let's become tithers. Let's take on that, that identity of saying, being proud of saying, I'm a tither now. I'm not just a tipper, I'm a tither. Now, because Jesus has come to do something greater than what happened in ancient Israel, greater than the Exodus. Jesus came to do something greater than building a temple that Solomon built. Jesus came to do a ministry that is far more extravagant, more wonderful, more glorious than all the things that happened in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament were a foreshadowing, a small image of the great things that Jesus came to do. In our era, in our day and age, Jesus came to lay down his life, to sacrifice himself, to build an international global family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in Christ, to bring us together, to shine the light of his grace to the world, that we might be included, that we might receive a transfusion of divine blood to take away the stain of our sin, that we might be forgiven forever through Jesus. That's the work that Jesus has come to do. And we get to be a part of that work. We get to fund that work. We get to support that work. We get to build that work. We're free in the sacrifice of Jesus to do that. That's the gospel of grace. That's the good news of Jesus. Let's, let's sing, let's respond, let's make a determination today. Say, I want, to, I want to, everything that I have, I want it to be for God. I want it to be honoring to God. I want my first fruits to be honoring towards God. And today, of course, we're going to feast we're going to, please, please, please stick around for our chili potluck. And we'd love, I'd love to meet you and get a chance to say hi to you as well. And there, you know, there are some other steps you can take on this Connect card. The offering baskets will come around in a second. You can turn in your Connect card and your, your offering envelope. If you miss it or you're not ready to turn it in, we do have um, offering boxes on the wall in the back as well. Um, but on, this, on the back of this card, you can take some other steps here. If you want to be baptized, you can tell us there. If you want to talk to a leader, you can tell us that. If you want to follow Jesus for the first time, you can tell us that different ways. If you want more information about giving, you can check that as well. And as we've been going through this series, we talked about giving and those kind of things. If anyone ever has any questions about our church finances, about how we use money, any of those things, please reach out. We'd love to talk. We want to be completely transparent about all those things. It's really important to, have, to us to have integrity in all those things. When you like and subscribe, this video reaches more people.